Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hi, Feisties. Thanks for tuning in to the third episode in season three of the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. Our guest today is an advocate, an influencer, founder, and dog mom. She got into riding bikes as an adult after going through a divorce and finding herself frustrated with her commute by bus. Her Instagram profile simply says, fat cyclist. Marley Blonsky and I talk all about language and why she reclaimed the word fat, how she learned to love her body, and what the body positivity and body neutrality movements are. Marley's size inclusion work started out of frustration with the lack of technical bike clothing available in her size. I know a lot of folks can relate to this. She took her experience with bike advocacy, combined her passion for size inclusion, and a new endeavor was born. Marley was an environmental manager for Expediters International when she was featured in a Shimano film called All Bodies on Bikes, which kickstarted her full-time work as an advocate for cyclists in bigger bodies. As we will hear, her nonprofit hosts rides across the country. I really found Marley's enthusiasm to be contagious and really related to her journey as someone who has turned her passion into a mission and full-time gig while learning to love herself along the way. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in Feisty Media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. 
Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%.
Okay, Marley, hi, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. I'm glad we're finally recording. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. In Canada, it was a month ago, but it still counts. We can be grateful every day, right? For sure. For sure. What are you grateful for today? Oh my gosh, so much. Um, I'm grateful for my dogs. I'm grateful for kind of the life I'm living. I never planned to be doing this. I'm grateful for health and family and just, yeah, the opportunity to take a day off and celebrate. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here with us on your day off. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Um, Okay. So I just, I definitely want to dive in a little bit here. Um, Tell us about your journey as an athlete. Have you always been a cyclist? Did you play sports as a kid? Oh my gosh. So I always rode bikes. Um, I grew up in Texas in kind of a suburban neighborhood and that's what we did all day, all night. There's probably like 10 or 15 neighborhood kids and we just ride our bikes all day long. Um, Hmm. But I was not ever athletic. Um, I tried to be, I played lots of sports in middle and high school. Um, Never on a varsity team ever. Uh, (laughs) It's funny. My high school had um, kind of this rule where if you were a senior, you got automatically like grandfathered into the varsity team, but it didn't mean you got to play. Um, So I just opted to stay on the JV and the C squads because it meant I got to play. Um, So I played volleyball, softball and swimming. Um, I tried basketball one year. I'm really bad at it. Uh, But any sport, I would totally do it. Um, as an adult, I, before I got into cycling, I got into like flag football and kickball and realized that like, I really loved just kind of the teamwork and the camaraderie and just playing. And so that's, what's really kind of influenced my bicycling is like just a love of playing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at, at first you told me, oh, I'm not athletic. Right. And then you went on to describe <laughs> someone who I would consider an athlete, you okay. know, like as a kid, yes. <laughs> I guess I do consider myself an athlete, but like, I'm not scoring the goals. I'm not the MVP. Um, actually I remember one time in sixth grade, it was like, they introduced you in like sixth grade to all the different sports. And so I was doing track and field and they had a meet at the high school we were going to go to. And somehow I signed up for the 400, I don't know if it's yard or meter, the 400, (laughs) and I remember finishing like a full half lap behind everybody else and somehow I got named the athlete of the meet um I don't know if they felt bad for me or what the deal was um but that was probably like my biggest athletic accomplishment um I've never stood on any podiums um so yes I'm athletic but I'm not necessarily like fast or super strong I'm just Mm -hmm. I like moving my body Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I get that. And I think that's super relatable for a lot of people. It's just like, I'm thinking back to like my own childhood too. It's like how we make those connections between yeah. mentally, you know, like I feel like that, whatever that message was, that came to you, like that you're. That I wasn't an athlete. Yeah. yeah that you're not an athlete, you know, um, do you see things changing in that way? Like, do you think that, or, or what do you think needs to change? I'm thinking of my own daughter too, who's like, she's athletic in her own way. Right. But she doesn't like, she, she's not being told that she's good at it at school. She's not responding the same way that I did as a kid to, to like even gym class. I think about that. Cause I'm like, you know, we got trophies for participation, which was cool. Um, but I think taking less of like the performance and the winning aspect away from it, you know, we celebrate these varsity state championships and, um, you know, these, these accolades, but all the kids doing all the sports are working just as hard and out there, you know, 
putting it all in the line. So I don't know if it necessarily needs to change or if it's already happening, but just a recognition that everybody's working hard, even if you're not coming in, you know, first place or getting the medals, like you're still out there doing the thing. And that's just as uh, worthwhile. Yeah. And you mentioned performance there. And I think it's really interesting, like that focus on, like we see performance as a focus on winning, but actually I think it's like a focus on a personal best or a personal goal or some kind of personal journey to be physically better. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. Um, So right now we're going through, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but kind of the foundational organizational structure for all bodies on bikes. So getting a board on board, making sure we've got, you know, clear vision and mission and values. And when we first started it, we had this statement that said, we appreciate our bodies for what they do and we fuel them so they can perform their best each and every day. And there's been a lot of debate around what does perform mean? And to me, that could mean, you know, I'm cooking Thanksgiving dinner for my family today. I want my body to feel good when it's standing in the kitchen all day doing these things. But for some folks, they see that word perform and they think, you know, high athletic endeavors, winning, being successful. Um, So it's really, I think, a personal definition. What does performance mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, part of why I wanted to start this podcast, sorry, I'm I'm like way off script already. <laughs> we're just like, we're deep in it. Um, I, it was part of why I wanted to start this podcast is because I saw a lot of podcasts out there that were like performance centered in terms of like being the best human you can possibly be, but they were also fairly male centered. You know, a lot of podcasts like run by men who would have, say, if you look at their guest list that end up being there, they have some women on sometimes, but it's not really focused on like women and our needs or looking at like whether the studies that they're basing their, their, their science off of is actually done on women, all of that kind of stuff. So I think like part of it, there is a tendency, I think for more men to like step into that role of like whatever performance means for me, like I'm going to try to be the the best that I can be in the world in some way. But us as women, we tend to go, okay, well, we're not performing. We're not great at that. So we shy away from it a little bit or we're not, you know? And so I just like part of the purpose of the podcast is to try to like get women to step into their power in that way, you know? Totally. Um, And for that reason, I'm so grateful to like my family and my teachers and my coaches who kind of recognize like, okay, Marley, she loves this thing, but she's not that good at it, but we're going to let her keep doing it and keep encouraging her. Um, So I've kind of taken on that role for other folks now getting into biking or whatever it might be, Um, but saying it's okay. You don't have to win. You're still doing it. And like, you get to define what success looks like to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that so much. Okay, so sorry, I totally cut you off on your story. So now into your adulthood, um, you continue to find your passion for cycling. I just wanted to get yeah. there first before. Yeah, it's all good. No, so, um, you know, around 2013, 2014, I got divorced and I moved from West Seattle to the Capitol Hill, um, which as I've talked about before, Capitol Hill is, this is all in Seattle, super dense, driving a car doesn't make sense. Um, it was taking me 45 minutes to take the bus two miles every day. Um, and then everybody I saw that I wanted to be friends with was riding a bike. So I was like, okay, well, this just makes sense to try riding a bicycle. Um, and it wasn't a very pretty start. Um, I had a lot of trouble finding a bike that fit, um, mm. I was breaking spokes, breaking components. Cause I'm also a larger rider. Um, even though I'm short, Um, but once I found a bike that fit, it was just kind of, it clicked, um, something in my head, something in my body and my heart said, this is right. You know, I 
felt a sense of joy. Um, and again, I'm still not very good at it. Like, <laughs> um, and I guess it, again, it depends what good at means. In right. I'm like, like man, <laughs> it doesn't like, matter. I did my bike all day. I, I did Unbound 100. Um, I did Seattle Portland, which was two back-to-back centuries. So if we're talking, you know, ability to stay on the bike for a long time and persevere and do dumb things, I'm really good at that. And that's a thing. That's a skill. I I don't, you know, right now in my life, I don't want to do that. I wouldn't want to line up against you at a 200 miler. (laughs) But I would feed you and we would just like have fun. (laughs) Amazing. Maybe I would. would. That's the other thing is I just don't have a competitive spirit. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm just out there to have fun. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, okay. So many people, so many of us like sort of struggle with body image and I feel like you're someone who's sort of learned to love your body. Like, how did you learn that? And and what do you do when negativity creeps in or have you learned that? Yeah. I mean, Sorry. I still struggle with it. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think we put so much worth into the size of clothing we're wearing or what we look like and we lose focus on the really cool things that our body can do, like just how powerful we are. Like the fact that we self-regulate and get up every day and eat. And I don't want to get too deep into that, but like, for me, it was focusing on like body neutrality that really helped me come to a place of peace of like, okay, I don't love my thighs and my butt and my waist, especially when I'm on an airplane, you know, it can feel really restrictive or that I'm just too big for the space. But then I remember like, oh, those thighs help me ride a hundred miles or, you know, my hips keep me protected when I fall. I don't break bones, things like that. Um, so it's a daily practice. It's, um, it's a practice of, you know, being grateful for where I'm at, accepting the things that I don't love about my body. Like right now, my knee, it's still giving me trouble two months after surgery. I don't have to love that. You know, I think there's a big movement, mm, right. body positivity. And like, I love my rolls. I love my cellulite. Like why? Um, like, yes, it's a part of your body that does really cool things, but it's okay to be nuanced. True. Um, so I think that's how I got there. Um, it was a process. And I think just looking up to other fat women in my life, um, you know, looking back, I was a summer camp kid and I look at the photos and all of the women I looked up to as counselors and as leaders, they all lived in larger bodies. And I never put two and two together until recently. And I'm like, oh yeah, of course I didn't think any less of them. They were great role models. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling right now, but no, that's actually, I think that's an, yeah, an excellent point about looking at things through a child's eyes, like in your own childhood, the way that you looked at adults, it's probably how we should all look at people, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. you're not judging them. You're just, you're judging them based on how they're interacting with you and the kindness that you're receiving as a child. Right. And I think a lot of people do look at people like that, or at least try to, you know, um, yeah. You use the term body neutrality there when you were talking and I've heard that before, but I'm not a hundred percent sure what it means. Yeah. So it's kind of, um, it goes hand in hand with the body positivity movement. So I think about some of the big marketing campaigns that have gone over the past couple of years, like we love our bodies. They just overwhelmingly positive about our bodies. And I just don't think that's realistic. Um, you know, I get frustrated every day with something with my body, whether it's my knee or my hair or something. And so being neutral about your body is accepting that there's like both good and bad things, Mm -hmm. but being grateful for what your body does for you. So whether that's, you know, having children or being able to breastfeed or just, I shouldn't say just, but going for a walk around the block, like Mm -hmm. practicing gratitude, 
despite the things you don't like. So like you could have both good and bad feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. I love that. Do you, um, Oh, I have, sorry, I have so many things like, please. Yeah. <laughs> like circling through my mind. Let's talk about language a little bit. Um, because I think that's something that, you know, I've heard you say that you self-identify as fat, um, as a podcast host right now, I'm even struggling a little bit to say that, you know, and to ask the question. So I'm an, but, and I'm a huge fan of reclaiming language. Right. So, I mean, I called my company feisty. Um, so talk a bit about that and language and how you, what, how, what your journey has been with that language. So I do identify as a fat woman. Um, I use it as a neutral descriptor, just like right now I've got bleach blonde hair. I'm five, two, I'm fat. Um, it hasn't always been easy to use that word. You know, as a kid, I got teased by my sister, um, you know, like fatty, fatty, two by four, can't fit through the kitchen door, um, just awful things like that. So um, I started using the word fat after hearing other scholars and athletes in larger bodies use that word. And each time it kind of bristled a little bit until I started using it. And it's interesting. I still have a problem using it around my family. For some reason, it's easier for me to identify as fat to the general public than around my family. It's almost like you have to come out every time um, when you use those words. So um, I don't know. I, it's similar to the word queer, um, which I identify as part of that community. Um, but yeah, words only have the power that we give them. Um, so I'm doing my best to kind of dismantle that and take some of the negative um, associations away from the word fat. Because at its core, it's just a descriptor. It doesn't have any moral um, leanings, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a fan of that. So do you think for folks like your family or other people who might struggle with you using that word, is it? do you think that's what it is? Like they're putting a sense of, they're, they're using it as a, a moral descriptor of some kind. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of power in calling yourself fat because you're saying, this is my body. I'm not trying to change it. And I'm okay with it at this size. And that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Um, surprisingly, Mm -hmm. because we're not used to people being okay with their bodies and being okay with being bigger, but it's always, you need to be smaller. You need to lose weight. You need to do X, Y, Z. And to say I'm a fat woman and I'm probably going to be this way for the rest of my life is kind of a shocking thing to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you, I'm thinking about, you know, day to day, I think a lot of people have different types of struggles around loving ourselves, um, whether that's with our mental health or the, the things, or I can think of a lot of different examples, but are there ways, do you have mantras or other ways that you keep yourself centered? Do you have a morning practice or something that keeps you kind of aligned with, a, with your values and thinking positively? <laughs> so, I have tried to develop a morning like journaling practice so <laughs> many times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm coming around to the realization that I probably have ADHD pretty severely. Um, so no, depends on <laughs> one of my favorite things is to like buy new journals. Um, and then I'll use them for a week and then get rid of them or lose them. And then I find them and I read them and I'm like, Oh yeah, that was a fun time in my life. Um, yeah. so no, not necessarily. I, a couple of years ago, um, my friend Leah Benson, who ran Gladys bicycles in Portland, she had this saying with these thighs and I was like, Oh yeah, like my thighs are powerful. So I made some stickers with it and that has kind of become my mantra. Um, but other than that, no, just keep going. Just keep swimming. 
keep doing it. Okay. So that is that in and of itself the answer? Because I realized the way that I framed that question, I kind of answered it for you. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, like, because my practice would be to, to keep myself centered and focused in the way I want to go would be to get up in the morning and make sure that I'm like starting my day on the right track. So sorry for answering the question for you. Oh, um, okay. do- I, I really try to, and I notice on the days when I do that and like I'm very intentional, my day goes so much better. Um, so it really is, it's a constant struggle for me because I'd rather just like, I don't know, go about things and do whatever, but that's not really realistic. Right. Well, it can be right. Like, why not? Like there's a value to thinking on your feet, right. And being able to like, Mm -hmm. but I've found that like, if I don't go into my life with intention or, you know, with a reason, it just becomes chaos. And then I lose my purpose. Um, so I really do need that like daily grounding of like, okay, who am I? What am I here for? What am I grateful for? Um, that sort of thing. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then like fat activism broadly, like kind of seeks to point out the obstacles that fat people face generally in public, socially in relation to infrastructure. So what are, what have been some of those obstacles for you in general? And then also for you with the cycling community? I am so glad you brought this up because, um, body positivity, body neutrality plays directly into fat activism. Um, you know, me feeling positive about my body isn't going to change the airplane seat or the doctor who I go in for knee trouble. And he says, well, you need to lose weight. Um, and I guess before I get too deep into this, I want to recognize I have a lot of privilege in this space. Um, I wear a size like 1820. I'm what's considered a mid fat. So if I walk into any store, I can in general find something to wear. I might have a very limited selection, but if I was larger, I wouldn't even have that option or I might not be taken seriously at the doctor at all. Um, so yeah, I'd say the biggest barriers have been healthcare, um, travel, and then clothing. Um, so healthcare, you know, doctors just don't take you seriously. Um, it can, it's a real struggle to find a doctor who doesn't automatically associate every single thing with your size or your weight. Um, I had an amazing doctor in Seattle who I'd been with for like 15 years. And, you know, she always said, if you want to lose weight, we can make it happen. Otherwise we're going to treat you just like a normal human and figure out what the root cause of, you know, whatever's going on is moving to Arkansas, trying to find a doctor has been so challenging. Um, I went in for a hearing test and they wanted to take my weight and I pushed back and I was like, why? And they're like, cause that's the way we do it. Um, and it's like, but do you really need my weight to know that I'm really bad at hearing test? Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, it's just how we do it. Like, okay, whatever. That sounds like really old school medicine. Sorry. That sounds like archaic where you come in, they take a couple different markers right off the bat. Exactly. Like, yep. Yep. And like, I saw my chart, you know, sometimes they'll like leave the computer unlocked, even though they're not supposed to. And literally at the top of my chart, it has like a red triangle that says like morbidly obese. And it's like, Mm. that's the first thing any person who comes in to treat me is going to see. So of course they're going to like, you know, land on that as an easy solution. Um, So that's incredibly frustrating. Um, Travel. um, I was on an airplane the other day and it's always a hit or miss if I'm going to need a seatbelt extender. Um, And I often don't feel any shame around it. It's just like, okay, cool. You know, this seatbelt is smaller than the other one, which I will never understand why I really want like an investigative journalism piece on seatbelt sizes on airplanes. Mm-hmm. Cause mm-hmm. sometimes they're like this big, sometimes they're this big. Um, but thankfully there's, you know, kind of, kind of a solution. You're still uncomfortable, but you are at least safe and buckled in. Right. Um, 
And then clothing. Oh gosh. Um, I've done a lot of kind of reflection on this recently, thinking about um, being a teenager and looking back at pictures because, you know, the nineties styles are coming back in the early 2000s styles. And that's when I was a teenager and just thinking about like, oh yeah, I never bought anything from the Delia's catalog because they didn't have my size or no, I never wore, um, you know, like the baggy jeans and like the cute little skinny tank top because it wasn't an option in my size. Um, so I think a lot of the choices that I've made in my life have been dictated for me, um, whether that was what I was wearing or kind of the style that I had. Um, and I'm really grateful because nowadays there are options, you know, there's more than just Lane Bryant or Torrid. You can go almost anywhere and find clothing. Um, those are the big institutional barriers I faced. I, I don't know that I faced any job discrimination. Um, maybe I have, and I wasn't aware of it. Um, there's lots of studies that show that there is a pay gap between especially larger women and their um, like average size counterparts, although I don't even know if that's the word to use. Um, but yeah, it's pretty insidious when you start to think about it. Um, so that's why I try and do the work to not, or to make it easier for other folks. Yeah. Um, you brought up a few things there. I'm it's the clothing industry. First of all, I, you know, I'm a big kind of believer and I've done this in, in my, my own business that when we see a gap somewhere or where there's a certain community where people are not being served properly or talked to, we found this with our menopause community, you know, that actually it's like, there's a, there's an opportunity there. That's like, not to, not to sound like I'm making it about money, but to make, to create like a socially responsible business in that space. Right. So from what you described, like, sounds like the clothing industry has changed quite a bit. Um, Do you think that's um, true in the cycling industry and sports as well? I think it's starting to, okay. um, you know, I think there's a lot of brands that are starting to go up to three, four X size, eighteen, twenty, um, which isn't enough by any means. Um, but I think it's, it's starting. There is a recognition that, you know, people of all sizes and shapes play sports and ride bikes and need proper equipment to do it. Um, and if I had a dollar for every time somebody said like, Oh, Marley, you should just create a clothing company. Like I'd probably have like a thousand dollars, but I don't want to create a clothing company. Um, like I, I'm not stylish. I don't have a designer's eye. Um, you know, I should be able to just, or other large people should be able to choose whatever they want from any brand, just like anybody else can. I was just thinking about five years ago, um, I was looking to, we were looking to partner with a company that made triathlon and cycling clothing. And I remember the owner said to me, um, you know, she was getting a lot of pushback about not having larger sizes. And it was like, oh, there just aren't enough people in that demographic. I can't support it. I can't make those items in my factory, whatever. And I'm like, and I said to her, I'm like, listen, that's what people say about women. <laughs> right? Like I hear that message elsewhere too, right? Like that's what, it's just such a common, you know, and I just think that's so not true. I mean, not, I'm, I mean, so I think there is still space for the clothing industry to change, especially like we ask that question from our partners now, you know, and I'm really glad actually I have to say I'm grateful for my team because I often like, well, like when I'm talking to a clothing company, they'll catch me out. They'll say, Sarah, did you ask this question about size? Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's still, you know, th- there's space there for sure. Totally. And like, that's a huge way to be an ally to people in larger bodies is to work with brands that make inclusive sizing and to ask for it. Um, so I had something to say and I totally forgot what it was going to be. Um, it'll come to me. If you remember, jump in because I have another oh, you know thread. Oh, go ahead. 
talking about opportunity. Um, so I recently got into mountain biking. Um, and there are, I have not found any brand that makes a knee pad that fits larger legs. Um, you know, like the protective clothing that mountain bikers wear, which I'm learning why, because you hit things and your pedals hit you and all sorts of things. But I haven't found a pair of knee pads to fit. And I know that like there are other larger people who are also mountain biking. Um, so yes, so much opportunity there. But I don't know if I want to take that business opportunity. Well, maybe if Nobody someone's listening and they have a brand, they can come and talk to you. You can partner. How about I that? I hope so, please. <laughs> yes. Um, the other thing you brought up uh, is along the way there somewhere was that, that, and I feel this too in my own life or those of us who are trying to kind of make change in the world, I think too, is like that the line between the place where you try to change yourself and your own attitudes, because ultimately like that's the thing you have most control over and the place where you are more of an advocate or uh, pushing, you know, pushing to change the infrastructure or to change mm-hmm. the culture. We talk about advice to you a lot. So how do you find that balance for yourself? Um, it's skewed. Uh, a lot of my life, because I am a public figure now, is advocacy, activism, um, you know, being publicly outspoken and kind of using myself as an example. Um, and I've kind of had to put up walls around my own personal experiences because otherwise every single day I'd be telling these like sob stories and just like kind of reliving trauma of, you know, shopping in the little boys Husky department or just other things. So I don't really have a good answer for that, except recognizing that like, this is the position I'm in now. People look to me to this, but that doesn't mean we can't bring others into the fold to do the work with us. Like it doesn't all have to rest on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one for me too every day because I know that our sometimes our personal stories are the most compelling, you know, yes. to for change making. But also, like a personal story doesn't change a policy or <laughs> doesn't change the way that a business makes sizes of clothing. To you know, um, like we talked about. So yeah, um, and like I think it's a it's a blending of those. You know, blending of your personal stories and the numbers. We are just talking about that triathlon brand. of the U.S. wears a size 18 or larger when we're talking about women. The average size of a woman in the U.S. is a size 18. Um, So for brands to say that the market's not there, they're just not looking. Um, And yes, in some situations, it might be a chicken and egg situation, you know, talking about some of the more extreme sports that have a high barrier entry. Yeah, there probably aren't a whole lot of um, mountaineers out there living in larger bodies because it's a safety concern. If you don't have the proper gear to get out there, you're not going to be able to do it. Um, but then you look at cycling, you go to any cycling event, there are tons of people in larger bodies. So even though we currently, a lot of folks have subpar equipment, we're still doing it. Right. And it sounds like, yeah, it sounds too like, uh, I think about the way that we make change broadly, like having people in various demographics in leadership positions and making decisions, you know, at certain companies in, you know, in government, all of those places, it just needs to be someone in there to kind of go, Hey, wait a second. Like someone in a larger body might not be able to do this thing. And this is how many, this is how many people we have in larger bodies. So like, come on, let's make a change. Exactly. And like demoralizing it, there's such a, you know, the obesity epidemic and um, so much political rhetoric around the harm that people in larger bodies are causing and the cost to the healthcare system. And like, sure, some of that might be true, but at the end of the day, we're all still people who have needs and families and feelings. Um, so, yeah. yeah. 
And what do you say to people who um, sort of come at you with that kind of older rhetoric around um, that fat people are unhealthy, that kind of stuff? Like, how do you respond to that? I try and just have a gentle conversation with them, um, you know, that our body size is not an indicator of our health status at all. Um, you know, just by looking at somebody, you can't tell anything about their health. And usually they'll be like, oh yeah, you're, you're entirely correct, but it's still unhealthy to be fat. And it's like, well, actually, no, um, a lot of the research has been biased. And then I will point them to other podcasts and other sources of information. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of <laughs> guilty of often changing the conversation when I don't want to be involved in it. Um, so I'll point them, you know, to maintenance phase or um, just some of the other podcasts that are out there who are also doing the work in the fat activism space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about all bodies on bikes. Um, yes. You're, I believe you're the co-founder. Tell us about it and its goals. Yes. So I'm the co-founder of all bodies on bikes. Uh, my co-founder is Kaylee Kornhauser. Um, and our goal is to create a size inclusive cycling community. Um, so that is everything from group rides, making sure that everybody feels welcome and included, um, to working with the industry for stronger components, um, more labeling of weight limits on bicycles and components. Um, we can, we should talk about that in just a minute. Cause that's like a hidden little secret in the bike industry. Um, and just kind of, I, I don't know if changing the culture is the right word. Um, but broadening the culture to make sure that everyone, regardless of body size or perceived ability or perceived fitness has a place in cycling. Um, I really think bikes can change the world and this is our little way of making it more accessible to more people. Great. Okay. Let's talk about that labeling of the weight limits. What does that look like? Uh, have you ever tried to find the weight limit on your bikes? No. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it either until I started breaking things on my bicycle because you think, oh, this is a tool, you know, it's meant to be strong. Oftentimes the weight limit is really, really low, especially when you get into some of the higher end lighter weight components and the weight limit is hidden in the owner's manual. Um, and so if you're just bike shopping, you know, often the owner's manual is in the back where the rest of the assembly happens. So it's not going to be out there. And so one of the things we're trying to do is like on the spec sheet where, you know, you got 26 inch wheels, 2.2 inch tires, weight capacity, you know, 300 pounds or 200 pounds, or just make it a normal part of the conversation. So that way people are getting on bikes that are safe for them and that'll work well for them. Like there's nothing more frustrating than I used to work at a bike shop, watching somebody walk out the door on a bike, you know, isn't going to meet their needs. Um, and then they come back in a week later and say, eh, you know, I broke this or this isn't working. And it's like, well, yeah, we should have put you on a different bicycle. Yeah. Gosh, I'm relating to so much of what you're seeing, like having watched, uh, at the beginning when I started cycling 20 years ago for triathlon, watching even just women in general go, and you said you're like of shorter stature. Is that right? I've, I've met you. Yeah, um, I've won. Right. Like, at, at, like watching people go out the door with the wrong bike and seeing people cycling all the time, just with, and this is just, this feels like kind of another layer on that too, you know, where it's like, oh, it frustrated me so much to watch people being sold the wrong bike. And I can imagine that happens a lot in your world. It does. Or just maybe not even the wrong bike, but a bike that needs some components beefed up. And so for people in bigger bodies, most bicycle frames will work for them. Um, I mean, obviously there's caveats. 
but wheels, um, you know, if they're looking to get into bike racing or, you know, doing a bike MS 150 or something, they'll often be put on these like very lightweight minimalist wheels because they're faster. Um, and it's like, no, you know, if your body weighs 250 pounds, you need a lot more spokes than that. Right. Um, so, so there's an education piece there. Yes. And, and then I think it's an education piece on the bike industry side. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think it's part of a bigger conversation that working as a bike mechanic or in a bike shop isn't lucrative. Um, you know, we don't necessarily pay those folks a ton. And so is it fair for us to expect that they know how to um, work with every single customer? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a complex problem. Okay. So for all bodies and bikes, what do you, what do you do? Do you run programs? What are some of the things that you're doing? We do. So, um, we've been an organization for a little over a year now. So it started out with a film made by Shimano and it was basically, you know, me and Kaylee going on a bikepacking trip. And prior to that, we had done, um, some workshop and some conversations and educational pieces, but it wasn't anything formal. And now that the film kind of took off and resonated. It was like, we can do this full time. So we do a lot of consulting and educational uh, pieces about, you know, fat activism 101. What are some of the issues that people in bigger bodies face? Um, And then starting this week, actually, we have chapters across the country, across the U.S. leading rides. Um, And so Mm, we're cool. Just this week, starting this week, starting this week. Oh, so we've cool. been laying the foundation for about six months now and getting the leaders trained up. Uh, and then actually as part of um, REI, REI is one of our partners. We're one of their grant recipients um, as part of their opt outside campaign to get folks to you know go outside and enjoy the outdoors. We're hosting rides in seven different cities. So Wow. Okay. Where are really those? Um, let, me, let me think geographically from South to North. So we've got Northwest Arkansas, Charlotte, North Carolina. Washington, D.C., um, Chicago, Kansas City, and Western Massachusetts, and New York City. Um, so we will, we do, we have 10 chapters right now. So we also have chapters in Denver, the San Francisco Bay, and Detroit. Um, and those leaders um, are waiting until the spring to get their activations going. Right. Amazing. Yeah. Um, it's super, super exciting. It's, it's also really scary. You know, this was Haley's baby and there's a really big risk in putting the all bodies on bikes name on a ride or an experience. And what if somebody comes and gets left behind or has a bad experience, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's our baby. And that's like our, our project. And so we were really intentional with who we chose as leaders. Um, we did a lot of training with them. We had a lot of conversations. Um, and so I'm really excited about it. Um, it takes a lot of, um, again, I don't know if courage is the right word, but just to, like, it feels like I'm like sending my baby off to college and they're going to make their own choices. <laughs> I love that. Okay. I, I love that so much. I'm relating to it in a way that's like, um, cause we feel that too, like as a, because like a women centered organization, right. There's going to be times, like you said, that like, you know, something is going to get away or we're going to say something or do something where folks feel excluded. Like, I feel like we we try really hard, but you're never, no one's ever going to be perfect at that. Right. And so how do you, I mean, maybe you don't have this answer yet, but how do you deal with that? You said you were, you vetted your people really well, uh, who were leading your rides. How do you deal with that when that happens? I think 
progress, we ask for progress, not perfection. And it's the same way we deal with brand partners or mm-hmm. um, even ourselves. Like there are going to be times we mess up. Um, and that's okay. We're humans. I think expecting perfectionism is setting people up for failure. Um, and it's not allowing for growth at all. So I think it's, you know, taking a step back as a leader and saying, okay, is this something that I didn't prepare you for? Is this something that we didn't think about? Um, and how do we grow from here? You know, not dwelling on it, um, repairing any harm that was done. Um, and I have done this plenty in my last couple of years as an influencer or whatever you want to call it, right. mm-hmm. where I did something that was genuinely harmful to somebody. And it takes a matter, you know, apologizing, stepping back and saying, hey, I screwed this up. Um, can we work together and grow forward from it? Um, and that's my plan to approach these rides is, you know, debriefing them afterwards and saying, cool, what went well, what didn't, how do we make it better for next time? Mm, amazing. And then how do you, that brought up another question for me. How do you deal with like trolls and naysayers online? Do you get that kind of feedback? Occasionally. Um, so I used to say like, oh, I live in the nicest corner of the internet because for so long, I didn't have trolls and I didn't have jerks and a lot of other fat creators I followed dealt with a lot of hatred and vitriol. And then as soon as I hit, I don't know, 20,000 followers, they started coming out of the woodwork. Um, And I try and ignore it. Sometimes it's really hurtful um, because, you know, as you and I talked about, I haven't always had a great body image of myself. Um, And so those uh, comments or jabs take all the work that I've done and kind of get rid of it and bring me back to that 14 year old girl who was feeling super insecure. Um, but then I just try and remind myself, like that's one person, maybe they are feeling badly about their bodies today. Maybe they're just having a bad day and they're taking it out on me. Um, so I just try and not let it get to me personally, but sometimes it does. Yeah, for sure. Do you delete those comments? Sometimes. Yeah. I just, yeah, it happens to us too. You know, we hear, we get all the trolls who essentially it's not as personal often because we're an organization versus, you know, yourself, you're an influencer online. So it becomes more personal. I understand that that's more difficult, but, you know, hearing from the, all the trolls who disagree that, for example, like women should be paid equally in sports, that (laughs) that kind of thing um, becomes difficult for my team sometimes too. Right. Cause it's like, Oh, and you end up like you're in a rabbit hole fighting with someone who like doesn't. So we just kind of started to think, you know what, like let's be selective about who is worth responding to. And like you said, like progress, progress versus perfection. Right? Like exactly. If, yeah. if someone's well, listening like, and making progress, it's different. Yeah. And progress is defined differently for everybody, you know? Um, and that's none of our business, frankly, at the end of the day. Uh, but I also will kind of, depending on what it is and where the comment is at, I'll let my followers um, or people that support me have that conversation. Um, And that's really heartwarming to see other people because this often happens. Actually, I have all my notifications for Instagram turned off um, and I go in like twice a day and see what's going on in there. Um, So this is often, you know, it'll be 10, 20 comments before I even had a chance to look at it. And it's like, I don't want to delete that discourse because there is a good conversation going on. But if it's super hateful or just not productive at all, I will delete, block, um, get rid of people. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And you you also mentioned that strategy that I really like, which is to to have empathy towards the commentator, the commentator um, (laughs) that like, imagine how badly it must feel 
to how bad you must feel about yourself if you're spending your time going on to someone's Instagram and saying hurtful things. Like, yeah, exactly. who is that person and what is their life like? Because it can't be that great. No, like there's so many other ways to find joy in this world. Go figure out what makes you happy and get off the internet. <laughs> like, <I> totally. <laughs> totally. Okay. A little party told me that you might be starting a podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> And it happens to be on Feisty Network. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, so we're going to have an All Bodies on Bikes podcast where we'll be talking about, you know, conversations like the one you and I are having, um, getting more into the weeds about equipment and clothing, and hopefully, you know, having some bike engineers or frame builders on to really talk about the stuff that I have experience with, but maybe not the scientific knowledge of. Um, so my co-host on that is a woman named Maggie. Um, she was one of our riders from Steamboat Gravel and is just hilarious. And I can't wait to put this baby out into the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited too. I know me and, and the team were all, after we had our call the other day, we were super excited to to get rolling with the new podcast. So that's going to yeah. happen in, in the new year, mid-January, we decided, right? I think so. Yeah. We're going to record a couple more episodes and get ready for it. It's funny because I have been a podcast fan I don't know, since 2014, 2015, um, I live alone. Well, I guess I have a roommate now, but for a long time I lived alone. And so that was kind of my constant companion was podcasts or public radio or books on tape. Um, and so it, it really feels like a natural progression to now tell my story. Yeah, absolutely. And you're really good at it too. So oh, thank I think, you. yeah, it's going to be amazing. And so for, for people listening, like how can we be allies for people in big, bigger bodies? Um, I knew you were going to ask this and I <laughs> have like a whole article written about it. Um, but there's a couple different ways. I would say, you know, decentering the conversation around food or bodies. Um, this is the top of my mind today because it's Thanksgiving. Um, and so just reminding yourself that like, you didn't get to choose your body. Neither did your fat friend. Um, I think the other thing is, um, you know, putting yourself in their shoes. So whether you are, going on a friend's trip and you've got a horseback ride coming up, I guarantee you your fat friend is already thinking about the weight limits. So if you can take on any of that emotional labor and, you know, call the place and say, Hey, do you have a weight limit? Um, And then just letting your friend know, Hey, I already checked or saying to everybody, Hey, the weight limit's 250 pounds. Um, You know, will that be a problem? Cool. Let's find another activity. Um, But I think the biggest way is just to like, I think about the barriers that we face as bigger people, and it's often clothing, furniture, access to spaces, um, supporting brands who are doing a good job at that. Um, I like to think about if you needed a size bigger than what you're wearing, does that brand have it? Um, And if you live in a smaller body, um, maybe thinking about that the other way as well, because people on the smaller end of the spectrum also have this issue, um, which is something that I've been made aware of with all bodies on bikes. Like, all women, like you don't want to wear children's clothes. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, I've I heard that I'm, one before too. Yeah. Cause so sometimes I'm surprised, like I'm a very, I've considered myself fairly averagey in the middle and I'm often like in a small or an extra small. And I often think there are a lot of people smaller than me, especially women, especially when things are designed for like that are unisex quote unquote, not just clothing, but, but, but things like bikes. Right. So when the small is made for someone who's five foot seven, <laughs> like what does everybody else do? Yep. You know? I remember a couple of years ago, I um, was on a medication that made me lose like 70 pounds or something kind of, it was a big change in my body and I was wearing medium shirts, but I was still 
what I felt quite large. Um, I mean, on average, I was like, I'm a medium. Like what is, what about the people who are smaller than me? So anyway, not to dwell on that, but, um, I think allyship comes in, you know, using whatever relative power you have. So whether that's, you know, asking Patagonia, Hey, when are you gonna make plus sizes? My friends would love to shop there too. Or, um, you know, when you go to a restaurant, if you have the option of booth or tables and you're with somebody in a bigger body, defer to your friend because sometimes booths don't work for us. Um, and if you've never experienced, you know, your body not fitting in a seat, you might not even think about that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's just, okay. Let's think about, I don't know, imagine a future, a utopian future <laughs> in which like one of the big things we talk about at Feisty is around changing culture and diet culture in particular, the fitness industry being so focused on dieting, especially for women. Um, and that affects all of us, you know, and being so focused on like how our bodies look versus like whether our bodies are actually healthy. So what does that focus look like if it was, you know, in that, in that perfect future, what would that focus look like for the fitness industry or the cycling industry? Oh gosh. Um, being able to walk into a bike shop and try clothing on as a bigger body person. Um, it sounds simple, but it's a, it's a big thing. Um, I think, you know, having those weight limits or other limitations as part of our everyday conversation. Um, I think decentering physical activity and, um, morality and also decoupling food and morality. Um, you know, like moving your body is not, does not make you a good person inherently eating a salad. is not a good food and cake is not a bad food. Like they are literally just food. Um, so I think kind of changing our entire narrative of how we approach it, um, and saying what fuels you, what makes you feel good? What lets you do the things that you want to do? Cool. Let's do that. Totally. And focusing on, like, I'm thinking of focusing, and you've said this earlier, so I'm just stealing what you said, (laughs) like focusing on the joy of activity and the things that we can do with our bodies and what, and even if um, someone's setting out a goal and training, a training plan for something like to ride 200 miles or something like that, like focusing on those point to point um, performance, if you will, markers of like, now I can ride further. Now I can do that faster. Exactly. Now I don't have to recover for three days after a hundred mile ride. Now it's a six hour recovery. Um, and those are the things I try and focus on because it, it does get hard when it's like, Oh, I'm training. It's like, I don't want to train. But at the same time, when I go and ride a hundred miles, I want to feel good. Um, so it's just about shifting your mindset to why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that. Okay. So where do we find you, Marley? How do we find all bi- bodies and bike and bikes and follow along with your journey? I am all over social media. Um, I'm always jealous of people that can remove themselves for a little while, but that's not happening to me. <laughs> so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Marley Blonsky, and then same with all bodies on bikes. So all bodies on bikes.com on Instagram, all bodies on bikes, and we'll soon have a podcast, all bodies on bikes. Well, Marley, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you do um, for everyone, including folks in bigger bodies and um, love everything you're doing and can't wait to have the podcast and more. Thank you so much, Sarah. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. 
Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there.